This episode is brought to you by the Sports Business Classroom Business of Basketball Immersive Experience in Las Vegas. Taking place July 14th through the 20th during the Las Vegas Summer League, the Business of Basketball program is an immersive training and educational experience for the basketball leaders of the future. If you dream of working in basketball and want to take your basketball experience, knowledge, and network to the next level, this program was designed for you. Majors include the league salary cap, scouting video and analytics, and media broadcast. This is an amazing opportunity to invest in your future and the chance for you to prove that you have what it takes in the business of basketball. Listeners can take advantage of early bird pricing at sportsbusinessclassroom.com. That's sportsbusinessclassroom.com. Please note that space is limited and this program will sell out. So if you're interested in taking your basketball career to the next level, head on over to sportsbusinessclassroom.com today. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to another installment of the NTC Podcast, episode 66, sponsored by Sports Business Classroom. Aaron Washington here, your host, joined by Aaron Pearlstein. We are both very excited to be back on another podcast. Uh, This one's exciting. We are leading up into the play-in tournament as of this recording. We are about three days away from the play-in tournament, and we have about one day left in the regular season. So really exciting times coming in the NBA, a lot of exciting matchups coming. Um, specifically for the playoffs. We will get into those a little bit later on in this podcast. But first things first, Aaron, uh, CBA agreement came out last week. As we know, on our last podcast, if you guys have not seen that podcast, I encourage you to check that out, episode 65. That was with Michael Vorkanov of The Athletic. He's been the one reporting a lot of these changes uh, coming up in the the CBA agreement. Um, He covered them extensively, and we talked to him a little bit about some of the things that were changed. But in this podcast, uh, this is going to be like a part two. This is where we're going to look at some of the other changes that we didn't get to last time. Uh, we're excited to get into that here. So, um, you know, Aaron, it's been a long time coming here for this new CBA. Uh, there have been rumors about it for quite a while, but I'm glad that they came to an agreement so we don't have a lockout because we're basketball junkies, man. We don't want basketball to stop. So the fact that it's going to keep rolling on it's the next agreement, it's, it's really exciting to see. It definitely uh, was nice to see, even though they got to the – basically uh, 11th hour really uh, i heard that the term sheet hasn't even gotten to the teams yet uh, mm-hmm. which is in but you know i'm excited that they they came to agreement as well and you know there are definitely a lot of new changes that's going implic- to like that's going to have a lot of implications on the game and the way that you kind of uh, you know facilitate management so um, it's it's going to be a new age and it's exciting it is extremely exciting. So uh, stay tuned, guys. There's going to be probably more to come. Uh, this is a, a tentative agreement. As Aaron said, you know, it hasn't made it to the teams yet. I mean, there's still like some fine tuning, I'm sure, to be done here. Uh, but the overall uh, gist of this has been completed. So that's what we're going to get into right now. So to kick things off, uh, I think this is one of the biggest uh, topics here that we're going to cover in this new CBA. This is the additional tax saver that was added. Uh, this is going to apply to teams that do dip into the luxury tax. So, Aaron, as you may already know, you probably already know, there is a tax apron associated to the luxury tax. Uh, for, for our listeners here, there's a luxury tax that begins to penalize teams. Uh, for every dollar you spend, you're going to spend an additional amount. Uh, and the farther you go into the tax, it gets more and more uh, restrictive as you go up. The league already had installed an apron, which is $6 million above the luxury tax, uh, to penalize teams that spend even more um, over the tax or certain restrictions associated with that. 
Now in this new agreement in the CBA as of next season, there's going to be even more penalties associated with the second tax apron, which uh, Woj reported is 17 million, 17 and a half million over the luxury tax line. So what this involves here, this is pretty insane. I didn't think it would be this restrictive, but number one, uh, you cannot send back money in trades. Uh, that's pretty significant. Number two, uh, you cannot trade first round picks uh, seven years out. So there's a seven year rule um, that's that basically means you can't trade picks more than seven years into the future. So if you're trying to use picks like 2930 out in the future, you're no longer able to trade those. So the amount of trades you can make is significantly reduced, especially if your earlier picks are already kind of tied up and you can't trade them. Um, and then the third one, I didn't see this coming. I don't know about you, Aaron, but mm-hmm. you can't side players in the buyout market anymore. So if yep. a guy gets bought out, it's a, it's a John Wall, it's a, it's a Reggie Jackson type of player, and you want to bolster your, uh, your rotation a little bit with your depth, you no longer have that ability. You can't do that um, uh, either if you're looking to do that. So yeah. just, just as a reference, like about three teams on average are in this area every season. So it's not like it's going to affect everybody. It's actually a very small percentage, but usually those teams that are in that bracket are like the Warriors, the Clippers, the Nets before they traded their big three. These are teams that are trying to compete for a championship. So the fact that these restrictions are put into place, it's definitely going to limit them a lot more and it's going to affect their chances at building that championship contender and and, and making a a deep run. So I think this is one of the biggest stories of the new CBA. Yeah, absolutely. And just to put it into context, uh, so that would mean that the Kevin Durant to the Suns trade, as well as the James Harden to the Sixers trade from uh, two years ago, would not be allowed to be completed because there was cash involved, as well as uh, first round picks seven years out when one of them was uh, well above the second tax apron. It makes sense. You know, it starts it, it starts to force a lot of teams to smart spend instead of just kind of keeping their homegrown talent and continuing to give them, you know, the amount of money they can with their bird rights and their owner just going $300 million in the tax. But at the same time, you know, if you have a team like the Warriors um, and, you know, you're not looking to buy out, uh, sign buyout players or you're not looking to make any trades and you feel like you have a championship contending team, you still can go over this second tax apron and sure. just, you know, uh, take the risk. But at the same time, it's now less, um, advantageous for the team. Before it was just the two dollars on a dollar. Where if you have a owner like Joe Lacob, well, if he's willing to do it, he's willing to do it. So, but now, um, you know, obviously you lose out on a lot of key things. And I mean, the buyout one, it was definitely surprising me, but it makes sense. You know, you can mm-hmm. always sign a player for a minimum contract. Um, and you know, now this implicates just getting talent from a team that you know their roster didn't pan out, and they're getting a big contract off their books. Um, you know, someone that far in, uh, far into the tax usually should be able to sign a minimum contract, but not allowing them to make sense. It does. Yeah, all these changes are, I mean, it, it definitely makes sense to add these changes in. Because like you said, if the teams have an owner that's, that's willing enough, like uh, Steve Ballmer for the Clippers, we all know this man has like infinite amounts of money. <laughs> so he's going to go out there and spend however, however many hundreds of millions of dollars to make a team into the the type of team needs to be to compete for a championship but it's different when there are actual restrictions like not not just like oh you can't spend this amount of money but it's like hey you can't trade certain picks anymore or you can't sign certain guys like you're correct you you can still sign guys using the minimum um the exception uh the veterans minimum 
But typically those players that are bought out are a little bit more sought after might be a little bit better in terms of what they have left in the tank. Um, then guys are just minimums. Like, you know, I, I think that's why they did it. So it's like, you could still sign minimums, but like those high profile players, like the John walls and everything, those are the guys who are going to be restricted from signing. So I think teams are going to think twice before going into that second apron. It, it's still going to happen. And, you know, especially if they already have a roster they like right. and they're willing to spend the money, but it is going to restrict teams a little bit more. So I'm interested to see uh, if we still see about three teams per season in this area, or maybe it goes to one or two or none. That would be interesting. But for the teams that are already spending that amount of money, um, maybe like the Clippers or something like that, they might stay there. But I wonder how long that'll go on for, because of course there is the repeater tax and that just gets really restrictive if you're into that area. So it could get super damaging to a team's bottom line if they do this year over year. Right. Uh, so just for context, like this luxury tax this past season was 150 million. The apron was 156. And then if you add on about 17 million onto that, we're looking at about, a, I think 173 or so million, yeah. 174 for the apron. Obviously next year, the cap is going to go up um, by whatever percentage, seven, eight percent. But just looking at how the apron could impact teams is going to be very interesting. Um, so um, we definitely got to keep an eye on that one. Um, so it looks like what the league is trying to do is to penalize teams that spend an extravagant amount of money, but they want to reward teams that are more careful with how they spend money. They stay within the normal tax, still going to the apron, um, maybe just above the salary cap itself. So that brings us to another big development. This is the mid-level exception and the room exception that do increase. So the mid-level exception and room exception, they're already determined before the season starts. Uh, those are predetermined amounts. For this past season, it was about $9.5 for the mid-level exception, the full mid-level. So you don't go over the apron and then you're into the tax territory. Um, it reduces that amount. Uh, and then the room exception, that applies to teams that are under the salary cap. So you don't have the mid-level, but you have the room exception. That was about $5.4 million. So just for reference, um, the mid-level exception is going to go up by 7.5% next year. So if we use this year's mid-level and add on 7.5%, we're looking at about $10.2 And then if we add on 30%, so the room exception goes up by 30%. That's a really big jump for those teams that are under the cap. That goes from $5.4 million to $7 million. So that's a pretty big jump for them as well. So mid-levels are about four years max you can offer a guy with a mid-level and the room exception is only two years so that's really big for those teams that spend less than the tax they're more careful with their money and the league is trying to say hey here's some extra money you can use to go and sign guys because you're doing so well with your money is that the kind of same vibe you're getting from the league penalizing the tax war and then adding on more money uh, to yeah. teams that want to use a mid-level Absolutely. Uh, I think that is definitely spot on. I think it's kind of just saying, you know, this exception that every team is allowed, you know, we're increasing the cap, we're, we're putting more, um, you know, penalties on guys that are that are teams that are spending a lot. Um, but now you get this kind of room exception that if you stay under the tax, uh, you get to use and it's just another incentive to be able to, you know, smart smartly send spend your money because usually there was a there's obviously the room then there's the non-tax mid-level exception then there's the taxpayer mid-level exception and um you know now with the new tax apron and the more stingy 
rules, you know, not getting that room exception that's now an increase by 30% means a lot more than it did prior years. Exactly. And the room exception is another exception that's kind of rare. You don't see it used that often because you have to be under the salary cap. And most teams do go over the cap, not necessarily the tax, but the cap itself. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we probably only see a few teams um, that are under the cap. I mean, we're talking about teams like the Indiana Pacers, the, the, San, the San Antonio Spurs, you know, teams that are, you know, pretty, pretty low in the standings that don't have any reason to spend a lot of money because they're not going to be competitive anyway. So that doesn't apply to a lot of teams, but the few that are under that, uh, it does give them a boost. So yeah. if we split it up, it seems like you have a few teams below the, 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 the cap that are going to use the room exception. The vast majority are going to be between the cap and the tax. Um, that's going to make up probably, I would say, like 80% of all the teams in the NBA. And then you have those teams that are going to be into the tax territory that might be near the apron. It's another small percentage. So it seems like that's kind of how teams are divided in, in the NBA. But it is interesting to see because, like, really good players are signed with the middle-level exception. So the fact that they're getting more money, that middle class of player – um, yep. that's going to end up probably being like 11 to 12 million next season. I mean, that's, that's a good amount of money. Guys are going to be enticed by that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think it was you on Twitter that, that made this uh, distinction that, you know, rookie contracts are really, um, you know, coming up to the level of the exceptions right. um, in terms of average annual value. Um, and I totally understand why the teams want veterans that have been in the league for more for very long to get more than the standard contract that, 19 year old gets when it comes into the league so doing this you know it does create that more of a divide that makes a lot more sense than it did uh, based on just the inflation of everything it was getting pretty close yeah i'm glad you brought that up um yeah i mentioned it on twitter because i noticed that you know the first year salary for paolo banchero the number one pick for the magic he's at 11 million to start right uh he's a rookie i mean obviously he's, he's worth the money he has been worth that money um easily because he's he's the most likely rookie of the year he's been fantastic uh but i mean now he's making more and i just referenced the mid-level exception before i mean that was 9.4 not even 10 right. million so yeah. now it's like okay guys that come into the league you're a top three pick you're making more money than the middle of exception guys who you know obviously aren't like superstars or anything and they're not going to transform your entire franchise but, but they're still league, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You guys have been in the league for, for several years. You're, you're very impactful. Uh, you could come in and make a big difference for a team. So I, I, yeah, I do think the league wanted to level the playing field a little bit. Uh, they are trying to foster more, I guess, growth from the young players uh, as evidenced by like the two-way contracts, uh, the G league getting more uh, emphasis, but also yep. the guys that have been in the league for a while, you want to take care of them. You want to make sure that they're paid fairly for their services and they are enticed to sign those contracts um, for teams that are between the tax and the apron somewhere in there. Um, the team should be rewarded and the veteran should be rewarded um, simultaneously. So definitely wanted to touch on that because those contracts are, are very valuable and we're going to see a lot of those sign in the next few years. Um, so, you know, while we're on the topic of, of veterans, I mean, there are guys in the league here, Aaron, that uh, they've been in the league for quite a while. Uh, the mid-level guys are not going to be the stars, but what about our, our stars? Like, how are they taken care of? How are they been serviced in this new CBA? Well, they have been thought of as well. Um, they're the ones that drive the league, so it's only fair. Uh, <laughs> but all NBA teams are now positionless. So typically we've had the guards, the forwards, and the centers. 
divided up in all NBA. What this is meant because like in this era specifically in the NBA, we've had centers that are very, um, very talented. We've had Jokic, we've had Embiid. So now it's like, hey, only one of those guys can make first team. Yeah. But I mean, I, I think that we're all in agreement that Embiid's a first team type of guy. He, he shouldn't be second team, you know? Agreed. It, it doesn't seem fair for him. So they've taken care of that now. So if you want to vote Embiid and Jokic on the first team, you could do that. It could be a team of all centers and forwards, no guards. You know, that, that's eliminated. But what I wanted to ask you, because this is interesting, I mean, obviously in the modern NBA, it, we're, we're getting towards a positionless league. So it's not like, okay, you're a point, you're a shooting guard, you're a small forward. Those lines are getting blurred. But we still typically have like front courts and back courts in the NBA. It's like, okay, Jalen Brunson is not going to be playing the center. You know, mm-hmm. right. Joel Embiid's not a guard. You know, he kind of plays like a guard sometimes. But there's still some lines as far as position, positional limits go. So if we're up to you, would you rather keep this format of positionless completely? Or would you want to see like at least like front court, back court, like we see in like all-star voting? Honestly, I wasn't a big fan of this change, uh, mostly because I don't think it was the right thing to change. The biggest implication, people care about these, these rosters because they have contract implications. There are incentives involved about making a specific team or making a team at all. So obviously it's going to be very hard. Like someone like, like you said, Embiid and Jokic, one of them has to make the second team. But, you know, if they have that incentive in their contract, I mean, even though that they're one and two in MVP voting, one of them doesn't get that extra incentive because they didn't make the first team. So mm-hmm. um, that's why this was change was made because obviously one agents or teams were complaining about it. Um, but I would, I would rather take away the ability to make that an incentive than change it to positionless. Because I think um, the idea of an all NBA team, it was kind of like a starting lineup. Like this is the starting lineup of the best players in the league. And I understand mm-hmm. and front court backward, you know, that, that would make sense. And I think I'd be for that, but the positionless, it's more like, okay, here are the top five players in the league. Like, right. It doesn't mean as much. And I think it, the the decision should have been it can't be used as an incentive anymore. That's an interesting thought. I haven't heard anybody kind of like suggest that, but I mean, I, I do like that. Um, the fact that you can, uh, you know, you're, you're trying to change uh, not the all NBA, I guess, positional requirements, but rather the, the stipulation that it can be used as an incentive for the contract. Yeah. Um you know, that's pretty interesting um, for sure. I mean, there are definitely, there are a lot of different um, areas of the game that can be used as incentives and it could be games played, you know, it could be a certain percentage from the field shot, it could be rebound percentage, it could be almost anything. Right. Uh, but all NBA, it's one of those things where it's like, it's not an objective, um, you know, measure, you know, this is, it, it's like, it's more of like guys, people vote and some people will put, a guy on the first team, some people put them on the second team. It's a subjective decision. So the fact that that can affect pretty great, like pretty widely, like vary the amount of money you make on your next contract is pretty interesting. Uh, yep. You know, if you're, you, you don't make an all NBA team, let, let's say you're between third team and you don't make it at all. Like I think Bradley Beal a few years ago, I mean, that could be tens of millions of dollars that you lose. If let's say one voter doesn't put you on the third team, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a pretty big thing. So I see where you're coming from. 
you know, but I think at the very least, more than I thought about it, I was like, you know, all the all-star teams are front court, back court, and you can still have Embiid and Jokic on the same team. So, you know, we can still give the guards their, I guess, ability to make it stro- like strictly for them. Right. But you're not completely just opening up like the door's box, I guess, so to speak, in terms of letting anybody make it. So, I mean, I definitely right. see where you're coming from. So all NBA is definitely a, a big, a big topic here. And what's kind of associated with that is the games played minimum to uh, be eligible for all NBA. So now we're getting into the 65 game minimum off the bat. When I saw that I was, I mean, I, I, I like the fact that they're trying to encourage stars to play more games. Cause mm-hmm. right now it's like, you know, even the biggest stars in the league, you know, we would like to see them play a little bit more. Right. My, my concern is that maybe it's a little bit too high. I know it might kind of sound crazy because you're still missing 17 games, but uh, John Hollinger had a, a, an article on the athletic about this. And he mentioned that Curry, John Morant and uh, LeBron James, Davis, Lillard, Kawhi, Durant, Kyrie Booker, none of them have played 65 games. So right. they would all be eliminated from all NBA Jaron Jackson Jr., James Harden, none of them will be eligible because they missed too many games. So I wonder if by introducing this limit, which to, I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of a limit, but maybe 65 games is a little too much. Maybe 60 would be better because a lot of, more of these guys would be eligible if it was 60 instead of 65. That's where I'm coming from. I just don't want to see all NBA teams where you have tier two players make it just yeah. because they play like two or three more games. Does that make right, sense? Right. No, absolutely. And I think not look like not being very excited about this specific rule makes sense to me. Um, I also think, you know, it's hard to bring up those guys not playing 65 games because that's the reason why the rule was put in place because Mm -hmm. none of those guys did it this year. And they're like, well, we want that. And, you know, there had to be some kind of load management um, rule in this uh, upcoming CBA. You know, I heard CJ McCollum talk, uh, uh, you know, live at the Old Man of the Three podcast, live podcast in New Orleans. And, um, you know, I could tell that it was a big um, thing that they were discussing. And, you know, if he was able to go for this, uh, it's good. But I think it's actually going to be okay. I think it's going to make them have to qualify for him more. And I, 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 but I, at the same time, like I said before, I still think the problem with these stuff is that there's incentives involved. I, I would rather no contract implications occur. Uh, because now I there's going to be loopholes where they check in and foul someone and they go out or yeah uh, yeah they overwork themselves and get hurt so mm-hmm. you know and they're doing that specifically because there is an incentive in their contract or you know they they really need to make that uh, all NBA or MVPs for their next contract because but yeah so I, I would I would like to see the implications go away for the contract but um, there are definitely some situations where this could go downhill for sure. I'm glad you brought up the uh, the Drew Holiday expedition from last season. I think it was like one of the last games of the season where he checked in. Uh, you know, yeah. he had the opening tip and then he fouled. Uh, right. And it was, again, it comes back to incentives because he had that $250,000 incentive in his contract that yep. he would only get if he played a certain amount of games. I can't remember if it was 65. It might have been 65. But um, yeah, to get that amount, like that. Yep, he had to play that game, which he played, but he played like five seconds and sub right out. Um, 
I was worried about that too. This is interesting. I don't know the specifics on this, but John Hollinger did modify um, his article a little bit. He edited it to include the fact that there's going to be some kind of safeguard against that in this agreement. So okay. I don't know if that means you have to play a certain amount of minutes to qualify for a game. Let's say you, you, you check in, you play five minutes and I don't know, you just want to leave the game. Maybe it doesn't count. I'm not sure how they're going to do that, but he did say, I guess he heard from a, from a, a source close to the situation that there is going to be a way to safeguard against that. So at least we won't have to worry about that because I, I thought about that too. That that's definitely a way that guys can get around that. And they would do it. I hundred percent think they would do it just Absolutely. to get out of playing the entire game. Yeah, because, I mean, players are smart. You know, I mean, these guys are in a position for a reason. Uh, that's something about players I think we underrate is their ability to not just, like, perform with their bodies, but perform with their minds. And they're th- don't think of everything. And um, the other concern you brought up was the fact that they might overexert themselves. I thought about that as well. And um, it's possible if a guy is hurt, but he has three games left to hit the minimum, there's four games left in the season – okay, I can, I can make it through, but what does that do to a, a team's playoff um, implications? Like, is a guy going to go into the playoffs injured now because he, he wanted to get all NBA or MVP or something? That's something else that could have unintended consequences, and I hope it doesn't hurt the overall postseason product in the NBA just because a guy wants to qualify for a major award. Yep, no, absolutely. I agree. We got we to think about that too as well. Yeah. Um, so there's yeah. – there's a lot to unpack here, uh, a lot of information here, but I think the the overall consensus is, I think it's kind of a wait and see with some of this stuff. The, the game is played. And one other thing I wanted to touch on, you mentioned the fact that a lot of guys haven't hit that and they're trying to address that. Um, some of these guys, I think, didn't hit 65 games, not because they low managed, but because they got hurt, you know. Um, Devin Booker in particular, Anthony Davis in particular, they missed a lot of time just because they got hurt. Not necessarily because they load managed, uh, maybe Kawhi is a different story. He he definitely low managed. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll I'll give him that one. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Curry, I think, had two different injuries to where he missed several games. Uh, right. LeBron James definitely missed some games because of that. Um, so those guys, I just want there to be enough of a of a buffer so that if guys do just get hurt, they don't automatically miss on the award. Um, you know, just because they had an unfortunate ankle roll or something like that, not just because they intentionally miss games because they want to rest or something like that. I guess that's, that's the only thing I thought of when it, when it comes to the games play minimum positional saw NBA, that's definitely a big one. So how about this one? We get back to the money of things. Cause you know, it's a business and you know, we got to talk about the money involved in this man. Salary cap smoothing. It's another big yeah. topic. Yeah. If, if we flash back to 2016, uh, the year, the summer of Mozgov, the summer uh, of Waldane, you know, Chandler those, Parsons. Jalen Parsons, oh my goodness. I mean, he just straight up robbed. Uh, what, what team was that? Was that the Mavericks that he signed that with? That was actually was the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies, that's right. John Hollinger was in the front office at that time. That's that's true. And, that's true. You know, yeah, so it makes sense. It makes it, it, This obviously was an ongoing discussion since 2016. Uh, the mm-hmm. smoothing of the cap where a new TV deal will be added incrementally to different years instead of just one year going in because you know we saw it there was what was the jump i think i saw like 24 million dollars from one year to the next it was 24 million yeah uh, a 32 percent increase in salary cap year over right so only so that only means that the the free agents are getting the ones paid but this now salary cap smoothing means that everyone 
and every player will be uh, implicated by the new TV deal that's, you know, increasing the revenue. And uh, I'm really, really surprised owners went for this. I'm really surprised yeah. that um, the guys that, uh, you know, ponied up the money to buy the team went for this. But uh, it's a great thing for, for um, the players. Uh, I didn't really understand why Draymond had a problem with it. Um, I think it's, it's a huge win for them. It's, it's been discussed for a long time. And now, you know, this just means that um, it's going to, everything is going to increase by the percentage that they decide. Um, you know, that means the exceptions will increase by that, ex- that much. And, and the, the cap room and the luxury tax. And um, mm-hmm. you, you really won't see a free agency that really messed up so many teams' salary cap tables like 2016. That's and the I, whole know, point. It, yeah. And I would just add, you know, people clown on Hollinger I see like on every Twitter that it, post that he makes is like you signed Jenna Parsons to a $94 million contract or whatever it was. <laughs> Those teams, they needed to spend the money. Like I don't, people have to understand that. Like there's a floor as well. You yeah, have to get is. over that. Like once that jump made the 32% increase, like you said, they needed to spend money and there was only a certain amount of te- players that they could spend the money on. So exactly. It's not like they thought he was a 90 plus million dollar player. It was just no smoothing. They had to spend the money. So we yeah. have, we have another TV deal coming up and we would have signed another free agency class like 2016, but obviously now we have smoothing and it's exciting. I want to go back to uh, the point you brought up about Draymond Green having a problem with this. I'm also a little bit confused as to why he had a problem. Because if you think about it, what happened in 2016, 17 is one free agent class got a huge boost in, in salary. Exactly. exactly. The following class did not see that increase. So you're really just kind of creating an imbalance between free agent classes when it comes to the amount of money they can make. So for Draymond, I mean, yeah, it could benefit you in one year. If you hit free agency in one year, you could definitely see a benefit. But let's say you have one more uh, year left on your contract. It's fully guaranteed. You don't have any options. You're pushed in the next year. All of a sudden, Wow, salary cap only went up by five percent or ten percent. Yeah. So instead of getting like a twenty-four million dollar boost in the in the um, salary cap, we're looking at somewhere more in the lines of like six to eight million, something like that, ten at the right. most. So and, I, you know, I, people, I am yeah. I am confused that why he was right. opposed to that. Did he explain that? I don't know if you were able to he, figure that out. Not really. It was more just like the players lose again. <laughs> Where huh. I, I just truly didn't understand that. And I think, I think he was looking for a reason to think that the players were losing. Um, but, you know, this is, this is exciting, especially because uh, it just, yeah, I mean, it, it just means that, you know, a lot of the casual fans, people that uh, their biggest thing that they always talk about is, oh, the players are moving around too much. Like you like a player, not a team and all this stuff. And it's not fun to watch because they're on a different team every year. Um, I think that this will affect that because, you know, you know what you're going to get in free agency now. You don't have to wait to a new TV deal. You don't have to wait until what the uh, projected numbers are going to be. You know, teams have the same amount of money that they were able to spend last year that it now this year. So uh, is free agency as important as a player, you know, for your future? It doesn't make sense to resign and take that uh, extension or that option, or do you go to free agency? You know, I think, uh, it's going to have a lot more implications on that sense, especially like what the agents and players decide. Um, mm-hmm. 
as well as you know what the team obviously has to decide now based on uh, the amount of money they get for each offseason. Yep, all good points. And like you said earlier, we have to remember that uh, any increase or decrease in the salary cap influences a lot of other numbers in the league. It's not just the cap. It's those exceptions. It's the tax and everything like that. So it's not just like, oh, this player's salary, this player's next contract is going to go up and down. It's the other numbers as well, which influence the next contract. So, I mean, it's all kind of intertwined. Uh, right. Sure, and, then, so. and then on top of that, you know, we've talked about it. The market dictates your worth. You know, yep. the, Kyrie knew that. And that's why he, when the Nets weren't going to sign the extension he wanted, he wanted to be traded. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he knows that when he hits free agency, that money that uh, could have been there from the Mavericks or the, or with, well, now are Mavericks with the bird rights, um, it's not going to be there in the open market. No one wants to pay right. him that. And, but so, now knowing what the the cap increase is going to be each offseason, it's going to be concrete and it's going to go with everything else. It's going to make a lot more sense for players to understand that. And, you know, going back a few years when Kyrie had that extension um, on the table from the Nets, he could definitely think about it more because he knows mm-hmm. what it's going to look like in the future. So uh, you wouldn't see that happen where someone requests a trade specifically because they know they would lose a lot of money in the free agency value. Yeah, I mean, all these guys, all these guys we're talking about here that will be significantly impacted by the the cap smoothing. I mean, we're talking about high-impact players, obviously. Uh, Kyrie Irving is one of them. Uh, we're talking about the Damian Lillards of the world, these guys. You know, they signed a contract that's above and beyond most players in the league. It's called a Supermax contract. And right now, there is a limit of two Supermax contracts um, on a team. It's true. Um, which was also rectified, uh, if you want to call it that, in the next CBA. But um, the league introduced uh, removal of that limit, so you're no longer limited to two Supermax contracts. I, I see a clear pro and con to this. I mean, the pro is that it, it gives you more leverage. It gives you more power to retain your own, um, your own guys. So right. whether that's right. someone you trade for, like a Donovan Mitchell that's already under contract, or it's a guy coming up on a next contract like Evan, Mo- or Evan Mobley for the Cavaliers, something right. like that. If you already have two and another guy's coming through the pipeline, because that's their situation, you already have Garland, you already have Donovan Mitchell. Now here comes Mobley. He's been defensive player of the year caliber two years in a row. He almost won rookie of the year last year. He's been making steady strides. It looks like he's approaching that max contract uh, territory here in the next year or so. So now they can pay him the full super max, which is great. Yep. But, of course, we've seen in the past that Supermaxes can be detrimental to a team's books because uh, that amount of money, like, think about Rudy Gobert. Think about how poorly this is going to age over the next three years. That's, right. It can really just really hamstring your team's ability to spend. So I think it's a double-edged sword. I think it's a good and a bad thing. It just depends on who the team decides to use Supermax on. If you use it on the wrong player, I mean, you could really burn yourself. But at least they have more Absolutely. flexibility. So if they want to they could offer up more of these Supermax contracts. Absolutely. And, you know, this is, this is something that, um, you know, was a rule in place where like when uh, Ben Simmons was being floated around, like the Warriors weren't able to trade for him because they had Andrew Wiggins, they had Stephen Curry. Um, and, you know, uh, that was the same thing. And I remember in like 14, 13 or whatever, uh, the Bulls couldn't trade for Blake Griffin because of Derek Rose and, and uh, yep. Joe. Honestly, you know, I was always sad about that one. I thought that was going to be awesome. <laughs> but, been interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think this shows like, you know, I think 
I it's, someone tweeted it out that um, you know the Cavs were the clear winner of this cap, this new cap where they can now give Mobley the same deal that Garland and Mitchell got and and retain their talent. Um, I just think it's it's a common theme with the owners and with the with the league. It's that they want to keep players where they they got drafted. You know now having this out of there, you know you have a if you get a first round pick, you know you have that player for four years and then you sign an extension um, and you can give this them, them the supermax. Uh, that's already nine years of their career and that's exciting to see. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, I do definitely understand what you're saying where it could backfire and now they can't really use it in negotiations. The agent, like we can't give you the supermax. Like <laughs> now the agent will just go look for the supermax instead. Um, but I also think it's, you know, it's players that are worth the supermax um, and their homegrown talent, they get to retain that. So uh, I think it's just more add-ons to make that happen. It is a clear win for those homegrown talents. And yeah, I mean, the, I think the the fact that they added in this, this uh, new type of contract in the previous CBA uh, was the same is for the same reason. That's, yeah. that's where it originated. Like the fact that we didn't have a super contract, it wasn't always a thing, but teams, I mean, the league wanted to give teams another measure beyond just a normal max contract to entice guys to stay. Um, that's where Gobert came in. You know, that's where Damian Lillard came in, the Bradley Beal, you know, the guys that got yeah. those contracts. Um, we keep going back to John Hollinger. Uh, you know, I wanted to reference another one of his topics again here, but he always mentions the fact that the, that because Lillard and Beal got these huge contracts, I mean, they're getting over in excess of $40 million a year now. Uh, yeah. Pretty soon it'll be $50 million when they're in their, you know, in their 30s. Right. Um, it it's kind of hamstrings them. And you look at both teams and the fact that neither of them have been able to get out of mediocrity for the past several years. I mean, there's other factors involved. It's not just that. But he, he keep, continues to go back to the fact that a Supermax contract is kind of keeping the team not bad, and they're not bad teams, like the Blazers this season, they kind of just, you know, gave up on their season. Yeah. But overall, it kind of limits their ability to, I guess, regroup. And I think part of that also is because of the way they've drafted. I don't think they've drafted very well over the past few years. I think specifically the Wizards have been um, been a victim of this. Um, but he does mention that. And I think it, it, it can be an obstacle if you, you don't use it the right way. It just it all depends on how you use it, I guess, is what it comes, what it comes down to. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to, it just puts another piece on the, on the puzzle where the, the, the teams have to figure it out. You absolutely do. You absolutely do. But it is cool that, you know, there's going to be a better chance of guys sticking with their original team year after yep. year. Uh, that is definitely a clear win for the league. I do like that. Um, last couple of topics here before we get to the, um, the sad story of, um, of a certain team in uh, the Texas area. Um, <laughs> Real quick, want to go over these. Uh, this is an increase in the qualifying, um, a ten percent increase in qualifying offers um, that team or players can sign uh, after they hit that um, that fourth year in their contract. You can stick around for a fifth year if you do accept the qualifying offer um, that it, that you can get from a team. In doing so, you can skip restricted free agency, and after year five, you can enter unrestricted free agency. This is very rare. Uh, I don't think we hardly ever see this done because, yeah. you know, you're, you're taking a very huge, you're taking a pretty big pay cut in year five. Um, instead of just going into restricted free agency and getting a whole new contract, like an offer sheet from another team or just the team you've been playing for, 
you're taking a contract that's worth way less, more than likely. Um, and you're taking a gamble because what if something happens in year five? Now you're no longer going to get that max contract the next year. So maybe teams are want to give players more of an opportunity to possibly hit understood free agency, make it more realistic. Yep. So now that pay cut that you're taking in year five between that new contract you can get and the qualifying offer is is smaller. So maybe more players will do that. I don't know if it'll really entice that many players to do that. It still seems like a really big gamble for the opportunity to have a restricted free agency. Um, so I don't know if this will really change much of anything, but it is interesting to see. I did want to acknowledge it because, you know, maybe one or two players here and there will do it instead of almost never seeing as you do now. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I actually love this because I always had a big problem with the restricted free agency, uh, like a restricted contract, like at these days, specifically because we haven't seen offer sheets where the team has to decide if they're going to, you know, match it or not. Because right now in the NBA, they're just, they just make it a sign and trade. Like, yeah, they, 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 there are no more restricted. I think the last one I saw was, was Bogdanovich, um, yeah. with the Kings and Hawks, where, uh, the team decided not to match it. Like mm -hmm. there haven't, there hasn't been that. And the sign and trade was not the reason why the restricted free agency occurred. Uh, it was another thing where to, to kind of keep talent with you, you got the bird rights, you know, you can match any offer. Um, and you weren't supposed to just turn any of them into sign and trades. Um, right. So this new percent of qualifying offer and also lowering the amount of time you have to match it to 24 hours instead of 48. It just makes a yes. lot more sense. It, it, it puts a lot more emphasis on the actual contract decisions rather than just taking two weeks and making it a, a sign and trade. Also, okay. would make sense because the NBA had a problem when teams like the Bulls and Pelicans already agreed to a sign and trade before the free agency actually, like yep. much moratorium actually happened. So um, yeah. I like this. I think there's a lot of underlying things that this solves. It does. I think specifically when it comes to the match limit, uh, it was three days. Um, way back several years ago, it was a three-day timeline that teams had to, to match an offer or not. So what that meant was if you submitted an offer sheet to a player, you want to try to poach him from that team, the team that player was signed to previously, they can take their sweet time in matching yep. it. So your money is tied up. You're kind of limited to what else you can do. So free agents start to fly off the board and you're sitting here tied up for three days. You can't really do anything because your money is pending trying to get that restricted free agent. They shortened it to two days. Uh, I think that was the, I can't remember if it was the beginning of the last CBA or maybe a little bit after that, but they shortened it yeah. to two days. Uh, and then now we're down to one day. So now I think it's a less of a risk for teams that want to sign a guy and restrict their free agency because now instead of your money being tied up for, because I mean, free agency is fast. Like it's fast paced thing. Absolutely. Within two days, the biggest talents are off the board. So now that it's going down to one day, I mean, you might not think it's a big deal. You know, people listening to this podcast, but I mean, one day, is a huge deal because one day can be the difference between getting a big guy in free agency and completely missing out. Yep. So I do like the fact that they did this, which is pretty cool. And then, you know, one other real quick thing before we move into the, the playoffs here is the fact that uh, you no longer have to use teams, no longer have to use a mid-level exception to sign second rounders. I think that's yep. pretty cool yep. as well. So now if you want to have a second round pick, exception yeah yes it's a second round exception so uh it's already a thing for first rounders so they're just automatically 
um, assigned a certain contract value on a team's books um, as soon as that, that the pick is made. Now the same applies to second rounders. So it's built in. So if you're over the tax, you're over the cap, you don't have to allocate more money from your mid-level that you could use to sign free agents just to sign a second rounder that may or may not even pan out. You know, he may not yep. be a guy that sticks around for a while, but now there's an exception built in. So you're still spending money on that guy, but it doesn't come from that preset mid-level exception. That's pretty, we just talked about it. It's a pretty valuable yep. resource. You don't have to pull from it in order to sign second rounders to uh, the rookie contracts. So I did like that. I want to acknowledge that. It's a small detail, but I think it's very important to yep. pretty much every team in the league. Yep, yep, absolutely. So uh, let's do it, man. I mean, we don't have we don't have glasses of wine here, but you know we can uh, just kind of imagine that we have a, a glass and we can pour one out for the for the Mavericks here. But um, as of last night, uh, the Dallas Mavericks have been eliminated from playoff contention. Uh, first time missing the playoffs since 2019. Uh, this trade was 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 a complete failure, I think, by every, any stretch of the imagination. Uh, the team went about uh, 10 to 17 or so since the trade. Uh, just a terrible mark. Uh, they ended up, uh, they're probably going to be about 11th in the conference. Uh, here's the kicker, though. They keep their pick this year. Uh, it's, it's a protected pick going to New York from the Przingis trade if it's top 10. They clinch the 10th worst record in the league if they lose tomorrow. So you already know no one's going to play that game. It's going to be Josh Green. You know, it's going to be Jalen Hardy. It's going to be... The absolute bottom of the bench guys, two-way players. I mean, they're going to play no one in that game because they want to clinch that 10th worst record. But I want to see – I can't wait for the draft. I really can't wait for the draft. I want to see if they keep this pick. There's a nightmare scenario in which the Mavs lose their pick. Let's say it's 11th. They can get the 11th pick. Absolutely. And um, they lose their pick. And um, Kyrie does one of these, uh, the peace out, and uh, says, I'm, I'm off to a new team. What do the Mavs do after that? Uh, we talked about it last night. They do; they will have some cap room, but you can't sign a star that's going to be able to really help you compete for a championship with twenty million dollars. I just really right. think they're kind of stuck, not having a first round pick. I mean, we we had a podcast about this when the trade was made, and we all agreed that it was a high risk move. This is what happens when you sign Curry. You, you it could blow up in your face, and unfortunately for the Mavericks, it's it's looking like it might go down that way. Yep. Yep. I think uh, I think you're spot on. I think you get an unbelievable talent, Kyrie. Um, and we talked about this. You know who they gave up. There was a lot of risk. You know, as their their roster was created. You know, Dorian Finney-Smith and Spencer Dinwiddie. Those were important pieces, specifically on the defensive end. Um, and you give those up to go get Kyrie, and obviously your your offense is going to improve. But you will not be able to stop anyone, especially if there's no heart in the defense. I mean, looking at it, the opponents averaged five more points um, against them than they did when Dorian Finney-Smith, Spencer Dinwiddie, was on the court, shot the ball better, uh, 49.2% on average against them in the last few games of the season, 34% from three. I mean, it was it was slim pickings for, for people that were playing the Mavs, um, and especially if the offense couldn't go, if, if, you know, they needed a few games under their belt, which any new – front court or backcourt is going to need, you know, you're already behind the eight ball. And it was a great move on paper. It was a great move on paper, but yeah. um, 
no, you, you lost really pivotal pieces, especially defensively. Um, and now you need to make a decision where you, where you, you know, obviously with the decision they had, I'd probably also choose the decision uh, of, of just trying to get that ninth pick now instead of going to the play-in and, and potentially losing. And then, you know, they would have to play two games in the play-in and then go to play uh, the Nuggets in a seven-game series. Like, I totally get their decision, but it's just, it's sad. It's sad I had to go to that. Like like we talked about, Kyrie obviously leaving would still give them some flexibility this summer, but Luca needs help. And uh, you're, you're very close to a time where he's requesting out. So It's been rumored that he could ask for a trade as soon as next summer if things don't get significantly right. better. Right. He's uh, really nice. He's giving them one year to figure it out. Yeah, really good. Good for him. I mean, it's not like yeah. he's gonna have two more years left on his contract or anything, but you know, good yeah. on him for doing that. <laughs> this is kind of the the the, the time we're times we're living in. I mean, time left on the contract means nothing. Yeah, uh, if you're a guy of Lucas caliber, I mean, you can break free from a team with four years. I mean, KD did it with four years left on his contract. His contract ain't even started yet. I mean, um, I mean, look at Kyrie. It's his third team he did it to. So yeah. I mean, it's just it's just the it's just the way things are going these days with player empowerment, and um, yeah, it's really unfortunate for the Mavericks because you know they were having a pretty decent season before the trade. It wasn't like they were looking like they were going to be as good as last year, losing Brunson. But they, but, were, um, playoff. Yeah. they were a playoff team. They were the sixth seed before the trade. Uh, when the trade was made, uh, they fell to eleven, and uh, yeah, that that defense did get pretty pretty bad. I mean, they went from twenty fourth. Uh, which was, you know, it wasn't great, but they went to 26th post-trade. Uh, so they were definitely one of the worst defensive teams. The only teams you would find in the league that were worse than the Mavericks were probably the lottery-bound teams. Um, so mm-hmm. probably got uh, teams like Indiana and, and San Antonio and Charlotte. Yeah. So just just very, very poor from that end of the floor. And uh, interested to see if they hang on to Jason Kidd, uh, what they do with Christian Woods' free agency, uh, yeah. Kyrie's free agency, uh, there's a lot of important pieces hitting free agency. There's a lot of big decisions to make, um, not even including Luca. not thinking about Luca at all, just those other uh, ancillary pieces. Uh, we're going to have to see how that goes down um, for them. So, so keep a close eye on them. There could be, um, there could be an implosion in, in, in That's Dallas. That's for there. sure. Uh, <laughs> I think it already is kind of on, on implosion watch because, I mean, yeah. last night you see them almost hit on the game winner and then they, the camera pans to Mark Cuban and he has that little smirk on his face. <laughs> uh, I missed it. It's it's a tough situation, and I'm surprised the NBA is not really getting involved. I, I know that they know that the last few games this happens, and I feel like in any sport that 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 happens because it's like two games left, and it has serious implications, especially with protected picks. So yeah, um, it's just yeah, it, it, it's it's definitely hard to watch. Uh, I would be surprised if Kid is back. I was surprised if. They keep the same front office. You know, we'll see. Uh, it was, you know, I think you can't, I mean, you can fault them for the Kyrie trade. Absolutely. I mean, everyone told them what would happen. But looking at it on paper, yeah, I get why they did it. But <laughs> it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's Kyrie. I don't know. It makes sense. Yeah. I do hate that teams are arresting the guys down the stretch, but um, I don't think there's really any way to kind of police that really well. Yeah. Because teams will, We'll call it an injury, you know, right. because like they call it an injury. You're like, how do you prove it or not? You can't really prove if it's an injury or not. They'll say injury management. They'll say sore right. ankle, like sprained ankle. You know, maybe they did get hurt, 
and they've been playing, but they act like it's it's injury maintenance and they don't want to play. There's well, so yeah, many different loopholes with that. Now this game truly doesn't matter, and the team knows and the play uh, the NBA knows that. So if this guy's actually hurt, or they can make the claim he is playing a unnecessary game, obviously would wouldn't make sense. Right. No, exactly. That's what it comes down to. So we'll see, man. We'll see. But unfortunate for the Mavs, who were looking pretty good before the trade. Yeah. Uh, on, on to some better news, though, when it comes to ma- uh, playoff matchups. There are several teams that are either fighting for a playoff positioning or they're just flat out locked in seeds. Uh, starting with the East here real quick to kind of wrap things up. Uh, Cavaliers-Knicks is the first matchup I'm looking at for, for the East. That's going to be I'm really so excited. I, honestly, I keep going back and forth every day what this, this should look like. I'm sensing a seven-game series and sensing a gritty Donovan that's, Mitchell. Yeah. M- memorable nights in the Garden. Um, oh, man. That's I really feel like the Cavs just have too much. The Knicks just keep showing up when we think they're not. So, yeah. you never know. Yeah, and I think it's going to be one of the best. I think it's going to be the best first-round matchup. Absolutely. I do, too. I do, too. I, I predicted uh, Cavs in seven. That's where I wanted my prediction. Yeah. So, I'm with you on the seven-game series. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the Knicks pulled this one out, though. Right. I mean, we saw exactly. Brunson in the last, year, last year's playoffs, uh, you know, in those two, two those two, three uh, playoff series. He was amazing. Um, Luka missed, I think, a, a large majority of the first-round series last year yeah. during the playoffs from the Mavs, and, and Brunson took over. I mean, he was like, hey, we don't have Luka, but I'm that guy. I, yep. I can go out yep. there and get fourth-quarter buckets. I can get tough buckets. He's built for the playoffs, if you think about it. Just yep. because, you know, he's a smaller guy. Yeah, but he's strong. He's tough. Uh, he can get into the paint. He doesn't rely on a lot of jumpers. When the game slows down, he can still make a lot of good shots for himself. Um, yeah. Incredible, impeccable footwork. Uh, just, you know, not afraid of the moment. I mean, he's going to be such a pivotal piece for for that team. And on the flip side, the Cavs have that in Donovan Mitchell. I mean, he's had some spectacular playoff series. I mean, he had a playoff I mean, series where he was scored 40 and 50 points in the bubble every game. So, I mean, honestly, if people don't give him credit, without the year that Embiid and Jokic had, he played like an MVP this year. I like, oh yeah, seventy points, like four forty-point games in a row. Like he was unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah. You know, I think it makes sense, and I think looking at it, it's easy to say that the backcourt's going to be the X factor for here because of the two very strong backcourts with you know quickly and Brunson, and then Garland and Mitchell. I think it's going to be – they're going to all get theirs, all four of those guys. They're going to get their their buckets. I think it's going to mm-hmm. come down to that front court. You know, can yeah. Mobley become an offensive, you know, force? Can can he, you know, get Mitchell Robinson in foul trouble? You know, can Julius Randle shoot the ball efficiently? You know, can he defend Mobley? Uh, can Jared Allen become an impact offensively and not just defensively? Like, if those things could happen, it's going to have a huge swing on the, on the series because – you know, when you have two unbelievable backcourts like that, it, it's hard to say that they're going to be the X factor. It's hard to say, you know, in a playoff series, you know, making a whole defensive strategy based on those guys because it's the side guys that are going to make a huge thing. I think Josh Hart's going to be a huge X factor in this for the for the Knicks, especially. Oh yeah. Keeping out of foul trouble, it's it's there's so many parts that are so minuscule that are going to be really really important in this series. Yeah, you look at this. This going to be the, exactly, man. I mean, you look across the the different teams. You look at the different matchups. There's going to be. Uh, I'm with you. That front court for for Cleveland is going to be huge, because we know what they can bring to the table defensively. Uh, those guys. That's a big reason why the Cavs are you know top three defense this year. They've been spectacular yeah. on that end. Uh, I wonder if they can contain Randall. 
uh, in the front court. That's going to be something big to watch. Uh, on the flip side, I wonder what the Knicks are going to throw at uh, Darius Garland to slow him yeah. down. I mean, Garland and, and Mitchell, that, that backcourt um, is going to be key. Uh, you know, the, the Knicks are not exactly a, a, a defensive stopper type of team, but um, – <laughs> yes. But I mean that offense still is going to be is going to be formidable, and that, that Josh Hart signing I think for them just really kind of boosted them into another tier uh, where they were at before. I think it was a A one signing. It was exactly what they needed. <laughs> that it, it fits Thibodeau's culture to a T. Yep. Just from everything he brings, from a cutting, rebounding, the little things perspective. I mean, excellent pickup. Uh, the one last question for me is, what did the Cavs do with that fifth starter? I wonder yeah. if they go Okoro to start. Maybe Lavert closes the game, or maybe um, Lamar Stevens gets some run. They've yeah. shifted to a lot of guys at the three position. They don't have a long term answer, but I wonder if from game to game, from quarter to quarter, that shifts a little bit because that's a yeah. question mark. It's the only one big question mark for that team. So that's going to be something to keep keep an eye on as well as how that three position just kind of rotates and changes throughout the what we expect to be a long series. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, they're going to have to get some guys that are, that are ready to go off that bench. You know, they definitely have one of the sh- shallower, you know, benches in, on in the East, I'd say. Uh, it, it's definitely close, but, you know, having guys like even like Seti or, or Dean Wade, like those are definitely important. Um, and are, you know, if someone could step up, it's going to be the next man up. You know, Okoro uh, is obviously what they thought would be their, their future three and he hasn't really shown up that like that um but you know you're gonna have to get uh, creative if that's playing mitchell to three and playing a smaller guard with garland at, at the top or or playing bigger uh and you know putting dean wade at the three it, it's going to be interesting to see what they do absolutely uh aaron give me one more uh either confirmed or potential easter conference matchup that you are really looking forward to yeah um I think that the 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 net the net Sixers is is even though it's like the Nets have lost a lot, I think it's still going to be a really exciting matchup. I still For think sure. that they have a gritty, hard nosed team, you know, defensive minded, and are just going to be up up in Joel Embiid's face. And uh, I, you know, we've seen Doc Rivers and Joel and all the Sixers have a few problems in the playoffs recently, and uh, I'm I like. It's still an exciting matchup to me to see, do the Sixers have it? Like, are they going to sweep the Nets? Are they going to just go in with this mentality? You know, this is the year. You know, we got Joel the MVP. Like, now, like, let's actually do something with the roster we created. You know, and so we'll see. That matchup is a big one as well. Uh, I think it's going to be a good litmus test for the Sixers as far as, like, what like how serious are they about winning right, a championship? Right. Exactly. If they go exactly. to the series and win in four or five games, okay, all right, they mean business. Keep an eye on them that this might be their year. Yeah. If they go into that series and they struggle, six game series. I mean, I I highly doubt it'd be seven games, but, but if, you know, even yeah, if it's if it, a if it gets there, I, yeah, I mean that's a red it, flag yeah. for me because as good as the Nets are right now, I mean they're the sixth seed, they're no pushover. Mikel Bridges has had a spectacular year. He's he's gone into that uh, franchise and averaged about twenty five a game since he got there. I mean that's very impressive. Yeah. But there's so many there's so many ways you can exploit that team. Uh, they don't have a lot of star power. Um, they don't they don't have a lot of. Um, I mean, Claxton is a great player in his own right, but I mean, Embiid should absolutely dominate him uh, from yep. from tip to the close of the game. Uh, they just 
they, they start still trying to figure some things out. I mean, they don't have a complete roster. I think knows how to play with each other yet. Uh, the defense is not spectacular. I just think that the Sixers should go in there, really make a statement and say, hey, you guys are good. You're a solid team, but this is our time to shine. That's what I'm Absolutely. looking for. And B, continue that trajectory. Harden, continue. Because Harden last year, for the second year in a row, he was he was up and down. Harden needs to be that 20 and 10 guy, 10 assist. That's the psychic to Embiid. And he has moments where he's Harden, Rockets yep. Harden, where he goes in yep. there and carries the scoring load. That's what they should be putting on display for us if they really want to be in the same class as the Bucks and the Celtics. On paper, they are. They just have to prove it. That's all they have Absolutely. left. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's that's totally true. And and it's why it's an exciting matchup that they can go in there and dominate for four games. You know, that that, that really changes the whole Eastern Conference, you know. And I, I just don't think the Bucks could legitimately not care, but, you know, really look at them as a huge threat based on the last few years. And if, but if they really go into a matchup with a gritty, hard-nosed Nets team, you know, they really haven't lost that much of a step since their huge trade. They have a huge future, but like, you know, there's a lot of it is not dependent on their success, uh, dependent on the Rockets' success or the Sun's success. So, you know, being able to just go out there and play freely with all these young guys, it's, it could be a recipe for a disaster for the Sixers, or it could be a good litmus test, like you said. The the, the Nets, like you said, have, I mean, they have nothing to lose. They, they, I mean, yeah, they're know, good. by all accounts, shouldn't even be here. So, I mean, they're going to play fast and free. And I can't wait to see Bridges, uh, what he can bridge that playoff series, see if he continues his, um, his hot run. Uh, real quick, West playoff series here, man. Uh, I think the number one series that a lot of us are circling uh, as far as the bracket goes is um, the 4-5 matchup. As of today, this could change tonight because <laughs> it changes yeah. every day. Suns and Warriors, man. I just can't tell you how excited I am for this series. Katie yeah. and Golden State. Just think about that atmosphere. That's going to be electric if that if that goes down that way. The Suns haven't lost a game with KD in the lineup. The Warriors are starting to get their pieces back. Wiggins should be back for the playoffs. Uh, their side pieces, their their bench guys have an up and down season, but I think Jordan Poole. I just I, I want to see if that home away discrepancy stays in place because if it does. This could be a long series. If the Warriors Absolutely. are as good at home as they've been in the, the past 42, 41 home games where they were had the top two, three home record in the entire league, if they win both home games, they go into Phoenix, they completely turn into a completely different team. They lose both those games. Six or seven game series. I mean, get your popcorn yeah. ready. I mean, right. I can't wait to see that. Absolutely. And I, uh, you know, that's obviously as exciting as it gets getting KD in the West again, now going into the Warriors in the playoff series. And, you know, with Clay Thompson coming out today saying they're unbeatable if they're healthy, like um, that would, it's, you know, that would be really exciting, especially Chris Paul and Stephen Curry dynamic. We've seen that last few years. It's yeah. be a nice one. Uh, I'm looking at, I mean, I'm not going to toot my own horn, but I really love the Kings going into the series this year, and they've okay. even surpassed my expectations. It's been unbelievable to watch. It's so exciting. Light the beam. It's just it's so fun for the to see the city of Sacramento have a team like that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really Great. excited to see that, that that you know potential with the Clippers. I mean, if going back a month or two, that two overtime game where it was like 
uh, close um, to the the record. 176, 175. Yeah, I mean, if we get a few games that obviously not that size, but that kind of app, like just atmosphere. I mean, come on, that that's awesome. You know, that's right for a treat. Yeah. So um, I also just am so excited to see Sacramento. It's so loud just in the normal regular season. I'm so excited to see their playoffs. You know, atmosphere. It's gonna be awesome. Man, it's gonna be like the Knicks. Uh, I want to yeah. say two years ago or so. When yeah. they made the playoffs, they played the Hawks that first round, and Madison Square Garden was electric. It's going to be that, that that same thing. Would be this team has not made the playoffs. I'm, I'm guys, I'm 29 years old. You know, I'm about to be 30 this year. They haven't made the playoffs since I was 13. Like I'm just starting like, to think about that, and I'm just like, like yeah, like it's hard to understand. You know, seriously, seriously. <laughs> I mean, that's it, insane to think of that. Unbelievable, unbelievable. Oh. That that the atmosphere is going to be electric. I, I do think it's going to be. I do think it's going to be more of a shootout. Um, yeah. I mean, not to the degree I, that we saw in the regular season, but the Kings don't play a lot of defense. Uh, the Clippers can play some defense when they want to, but yeah, it comes to go. who's healthy. Who's healthy? It really is. I mean, Paul George is a big question mark. Um, Paul George, yeah. um, he might have just ruined my whole fantasy season, um, <laughs> not taking shots or anything. Yeah, but um, I was in the fantasy playoffs when he. I mean, he hyperextended his knee, his leg, and it was ruled out for, for two weeks or so there. Um, so that hurt me. But I'm still rooting for him to come back for the series, be 100%, because the Clippers are going to need him. They're in for a fight. The yep. Kings are no joke, as they displayed. Yep. This isn't a blip. This isn't a flash in the pan. They yep. have a legitimate two-man action with, with Fox and Sabonis. They have great guard play, Keegan Murray, uh, over 200 threes in his rookie season. Uh, it's more the Damian Lillard and, and guys like that. Um, Malik Monk and uh, a lot of guys at the team position. Just want it. They do. They'll just want it. They're and hungry. I can see like why. Mike Brown has instilled such a great chemistry and such a great environment that, oh, yeah. you know, he's my coach of the year. Um, you know, I like the pick. I like um, the pick. Third seed. I mean, hey, yeah. it's not like we're picking a team that's set six, seven. I mean, these guys yeah, have won a lot of games. A few episodes ago, I said, you know, if they can stay up there, in the top three, it's, without a doubt, he's he's my coach of the year. So I'll give it to um, him too, man. I I don't care yeah. what Bolden Hoser has done at the one seed or Mike Malone. Like yeah. give me the Kings, man. I mean, they were supposed to win thirty games or thirty five, let alone almost forty five. I mean, yeah. that's just they just won incredible. the Pacific, like unbelievable. No one, I don't think even Kings fans would expect yeah. them to finish with a better record than the the Lakers, the Clippers, the Warriors, all those teams. Exactly. There's no way, man. That's incredible. Yeah, and so, you know, I would say it's a tough beat to have to play the Clippers in the sixth seed, but that's kind of what the West is now. Um, yeah. You know, have an amazing season, and you're the three seed, and who do you have to play? Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Like, okay. Wild West. Like, what, what was the incentive in getting the three seed? But, um, you know, I think they could do it, but it's going to come down to injury. I mean, if you back to on paper, like, with the sixties, like, the Clippers should – easily beat the Kings, you know, but, you know, they have had a lot of problems this year. Uh, Surprisingly, you know, they haven't looked like anything like a a championship contender, Um, but, you know, on paper they are, and it's going to be interesting to see if, yeah, do they get that kind of dynamic coming into a playoff series with the Kings or the Kings keep rolling as they are. That's what it comes down to, man. That's what it comes down to. We're going to have to wait and see only a few days left. And then the playoff yeah. tournament, the playing tournament will, will commence. 
So a lot more series to look at, man. Uh, as we get into our future podcast, we will definitely do more of a deep dive on specific series as they are locked in. As of this recording, we still have a few matchups in the West yet to be determined. There's about four seats over there. They're still have to shift positions. Uh, so we'll be back definitely for another episode. We'll get into East and West and look at how the first round is going to, is going to shake out. But Aaron, thanks again, man, for, for hopping on another great episode. Absolutely. Always glad, glad to top it up with you, man. Great times here. Uh, if you guys are looking for uh, resources, uh, league resources, such as uh, cap sheets, you can take a look at the, the cap space for your favorite teams. Trade machine is up to date for 22-23. That's going to be updated as we get into the off season. Um, if you want to look at the apron, the luxury tax that we were looking at, um, those numbers are updated on our site. When we get into the summertime and those numbers are updated, we will update that on our site. All that stuff is available for you over at notradeclause.com. All of our podcasts are there, other resources, so definitely be sure to check that out. Yeah, I mean, um, Mavs fans get to just stare at their cap sheet, see what they think they, the team could do. Right. <laughs> exactly. Just try to just to, just hope and pray that the worst case scenario doesn't shake out for you. <laughs> we're, we're, we're praying for you guys. We're hanging there. Hanging there. <laughs> so on that note, guys, we're signing out. Uh, Aaron and Aaron, we'll, we'll catch you guys in the next podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy this playing tournament here as, as it gets underway. And uh, we'll be back here next week with another exciting episode of NTC. So take care, guys. We'll see you all soon. Hey, guys, it's Bobby Marks, SBC's lead instructor. This episode is brought to you by the Sports Business Classroom Business of Basketball Immersive Experience in Las Vegas. Taking place July 14th through the 20th during the Las Vegas Summer League, the Business of Basketball program is an immersive training and educational experience for the basketball leaders of the future. If you dream of working in basketball and want to take your basketball experience, knowledge, and network to the next level, this program was designed for you. Majors include the league salary cap, scouting video and analytics, and media broadcast. This is an amazing opportunity to invest in your future and the chance for you to prove that you have what it takes to work in business of basketball. Listeners can take advantage of early bird pricing at sportsbusinessclassroom.com. That's sportsbusinessclassroom.com. Please note that space is limited and this program will sell out. So if you're interested in taking your basketball career to the next level, head on over to sportsbusinessclassroom.com today.